Welcome to Crypto Girls with Dylan and Katie. We're here to help everyone understand what's happening in the crypto space, why it matters, and how you can be a part of shaping it. Hey, everyone. Oh, my God. Sorry in advance for my voice. I'm kind of sick, so I'm not going to kill you guys with this heinous sounding voice, but we got to get through this. So here we are. We'll power through. This episode is for people who want to hear more about the VC side of Web3. Vocab words include Dutch auction, proof, and moonbirds once again. So we honestly recorded this years ago. (laughs) I think it was like three weeks ago, but it feels like it's been years. We went on a little hiatus with work and life and Memorial Day weekend, but we're back. So our guest this week is Ryan Carson, who's the founder of Web3 VC Fund 121G and the former COO of Proof. And Ryan, honestly, there was some controversy around him, which we will talk about in this intro and we ask him about in the episode because he was part of a super successful NFT project associated with Proof called Moonbirds. But we honestly had a great conversation and he has an amazing voice. So we we loved talking to him and he had a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah, he does have an amazing voice. He should definitely have... Oh, wait, he is starting a podcast. We talked about that in the episode. And if you guys haven't listened our last episode on the market crash, go check it out because we referenced the Terra slash UST fallout. And our last episode with Coltrane gives a summary of all of that in less than 30 minutes. So... Yeah, it's it's honestly... I feel like that's one of my favorite episodes we've done because it's just so quick, so to the point. But I feel like that's important context for just any discussions of crypto going forward. Let's talk a little bit about Proof. I don't, is it called Proof or Proof XYZ? The full name is Proof XYZ, XYZ. people just call it Proof. Okay, yeah. So let, let's talk about Proof, Moonbirds, this other guy, Kevin Rose. What What is it? A bunch of Web2 entrepreneurs got together, Kevin Rose and Ryan included, to create an NFT project called Proof. It was also a podcast and they started launching NFT projects within Proof. So Moonbirds was one of those projects and we get into all of that in the episode. So it's definitely worth sticking around and listening to what Ryan has to say about everything that went down and what's going to happen with his new fund. In other news, I would say the vibe of crypto Twitter is kind of quiet. People are still working and posting, but I feel like the hubris has dissipated a little bit and people are being a little little bit more humble. Um, I feel like also just the general pace has really slowed down. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, it obviously wasn't sustainable, but maybe it's just people have kind of settled into the projects that they're building. And so I just feel like we were at a point where it was every single day there was a new significant NFT project. That's definitely not happening anymore, but the ones that were doing well are still around. Yeah. I think it was that initial hype and we're past that initial hype and we've gotten past the first, I would say significant crash since wider adoption of crypto. There have obviously been other crashes, but this was the first crash that had the most widespread impact. So other news, a former OpenSea executive has been indicted by the feds for insider trading, which I think is really interesting. And we should stay up to date on that story. And we can do an episode on that. Yeah, because I feel like that gets into all have... the legalities that we've been trying to understand this whole time. Yeah, we should honestly, maybe we should do a Twitter space with Cryptones again, the lawyer. Oh, but that'd be fun. Yeah, I feel like this is 
definitely a case that people are going to be watching because it's like, oh shit, the government is actually starting to catch up with these people. Cryptones also said that there's another case that we should be watching. I think it's called Ripple. Could be wrong, but go back and listen to our episode with Cryptones about that. And maybe we can include that in our Twitter space as well. We'll keep you updated. Kanye West registered for trademarks to launch Yeezy NFTs. And The weekend is launching a crypto-powered world tour, which I find interesting. That word, that like buzzword of crypto-powered has started to sort of catch on. We'll see what that actually means. Also notably, the Board Ape Yacht Club Discord was hacked for the second time, and people who were involved in the project lost over $300,000 in assets. Gordon Goner, who is one of the founders of Board Apes, he was tweeting out like, we need a new platform. So we'll see how that shifts. And people are just really gearing up for NFT NYC. So we're hoping that maybe we'll be able to do a little coffee chat meetup, but let us know what you guys think. We we're scared no one would show up. So I don't know. Yeah. If you would come, please DM us. And also the week before NFT NYC, there is Art Basel in Basel, Switzerland, I'll be there. There are some NFT meetups. So if you're going to Switzerland for Basel next week, please shoot us a DM as well. We'd love to meet you. Enjoy our conversation with Ryan. And as always, reach out if there are specific topics you want to hear about going forward. And if you guys have any questions, concerns, we're here to talk about it all. And enjoy. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. You bet. Thanks for having me on the show. My name is Ryan Carson, born and raised in Colorado, got a computer science degree and just fell in love with Web2, really. Started three companies. Those three companies were acquired and along the way became good friends with Kevin Rose, who was my first investor. And he brought me into the NFT world and that landed me a spot as the COO at Proof. And and I helped build the team and launch Moonbirds. And then that led to my latest adventure, which is uh, 1.21 gigawatts fund or 121G, which is an NFT focused venture fund. So that's me in 30 seconds. For our listeners that might not be familiar with these big NFT projects, tell them a little bit about the past projects you were involved with and what transpired. Yeah, you bet. So like a lot of you probably, I learned everything about NFTs through listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and making lots of mistakes, buying bad NFTs initially, just kind of taught myself. And that led me to the Proof Collective. So like I said, I was old friends with Kevin Rose, who had done a, a many podcasts and done many things. And he launched a podcast called Proof. And I listened to every episode And he decided to launch an NFT community on top of that podcast. And so in December of 2021, he announced that he was launching uh, a a NFT and it was called Proof. And it would be a Dutch auction starting at 5 ETH and going down, which means if it sells out at 5 ETH, it sells out. But if it doesn't, the price keeps decreasing until it eventually sells out. And I thought this would be fun to join this community. What could be better than learning inside a group of a thousand NFT collectors and enthusiasts? And I had just sold my company. And so I thought, let's give it a go. It's kind of just a a private community of a thousand people who love NFTs. And the idea was you buy the NFT and then you get into the Discord and, and you hang out and talk about all things NFT and Kevin didn't promise a lot. He he basically said, "Hey, this is going to be a community of collectors. We're not sure where it's going to go. Just join us if if you're passionate about that." 
And I, I did that. And because he and I were old friends, I, I just started helping out more. So I helped him kind of build a community and do Q&A sessions. And eventually it just became clear to me, gosh, I'm doing this all day anyway. Why don't I just asked to join the team and help him build the company. And I built a lot of companies and, and hired a lot of people and raised venture capital and kind of done all these things. So I just pitched him on the idea of me joining us as his chief operating officer and helping him build the company. And uh, he said, sure, let's do that. And so we just started building that community and, and trying to take care of our members as best as possible. So tell us a little bit about how then Moonbirds sort of came from proof. So. We had this amazing, passionate community of a thousand NFT collectors. And the unique holder percentage was very high. I think it was like 92 to 93%, which is great for an NFT collection. So, we had a real genuine community. And so we were starting to build trust and connection with that community. And then we launched our first project into that community, which was called Grails. And this was pre-Moonbird. So Grails was Kevin's idea. He put it together and he did an amazing job. He basically recruited 20 artists and four of them were the top grossing artists of all time in NFTs. And he told the community, okay, we're going to do a drop and every proof member gets uh, one of these NFTs. But the, the trick is there's going to be the world's best artists in here, but you don't know which artist did which piece. And so you have to pick the piece based off of the art. So instead of trying to buy a piece because it's by a famous artist, you really have to pick the art you love. And it was a fascinating game. And of course, the reason why it's called Grails is it, it was a throwback to Indiana Jones and picking the Holy Grail. It was just the most fun the community ever had. We were all trying to figure out who, which artist was which and which piece was which. And I, I eventually knew because I was on the team who the artists were. So I wasn't allowed to pick after I knew who the artists were. But it was just a blast. And, and then we did this big reveal on, on YouTube and revealed the artists. And it turns out the artists were some of the biggest artists in the world, including Dimitri Cherniak and Tyler Hobbs and Ixchels and, and Larva Labs. Some of the community members picked an NFT that ended up selling for 80 ETH. And so all of a sudden, people started paying attention to proof. Like, wait a minute, I, I, what is this? this club, what's happening. And there's this huge value being created for members and everybody's having a ton of fun. And, and so then proof started to become noted, but we're still small, still a thousand folks and still flying under the radar. I think of that, the wider NFT community. And then we had an offsite meeting and we just went really deep and, and decided we needed to expand the community because at that point, I think proof passes. I don't remember exactly how much they were, but I, I feel like they were 20 to 30 ETH each, and which is a ton of money. And 99.9% .9 of people can't afford that. And so we thought, well, how do we expand the community and bring more folks in at a more affordable price? But how do we not dilute the value of being a proof member? And so a great option was to launch a PFP. And the idea would be that we could expand the community and, and, and sort of let these PFP holders kind of rub shoulders with proof holders and start to mix the communities together and allow more people into. And so we decided, all right, let's, let's ship a 10 K a 10,000 piece NFT project. That's a PFP project. And uh, we decided on the name Moonbirds, and we picked owls because they're non-gendered and they're cute and they're collectible and, and they're inclusive and all those things. And so we launched Moonbirds as a PFP project. 
And it ended up becoming the fastest top grossing project of all time. I think it's because Kevin uh, did such a great job of building community and credibility. And Justin and I had experience building real companies that a lot of people decided to bet on us. And it just was more successful, I think, than we ever, ever planned which was really fun. We've definitely talked about Moonbirds a decent amount on this podcast. And I feel like we always call them these pixelated owls that just have a a stranglehold grip on crypto Twitter. (laughs) We're like, why why are these pixelated owls like ruining (laughs) people's lives right now? I know. There's so many reasons, I think, why the project was successful. Number one, Kevin did a very good job of, of building credibility for decades. Right, he wasn't some anonymous founder that had no experience. That was thing one. Secondly, we built a real community first with proof, so we didn't launch as a PFP project. We launched as a community of a thousand people, and then what we did is we gave more value to that community, right, through Grails and through meetups, and and then every proof member got two free Moonbirds. So you, we we launched Moonbirds into a passionate community that was established, led by credible leaders, and then. Kevin, Justin, and I have real experience building real companies. So people knew who we were. And then Kevin and I have really good connections to the venture capital world and to the DAO world. And so a lot of you know VC funds and DAOs felt comfortable buying into Moonbirds and collecting, which caused this huge rush of capital on, on Mint Day. And then we had real plans to ship product for Moonbirds. And I think... And then the timing was great, right? There, there wasn't... A big project that was sucking all the you know oxygen out of the air at that point in time. So it was kind of the right project at the right time to launch. And I think that's why it did what it did. There's always an element of luck in there. And thankfully, we got lucky in the timing. So obviously, you're now with 121G, as we mentioned. That's kind of your next venture. So mm-hmm. before, we obviously want to hear about that and all the things that you're doing. But how did you make the decision to jump from Moonbirds into the fund? Because you did yeah. go pretty pretty quickly. It was quick. So when I sold my last company, I had always wanted to start a, a, a venture fund because I had raised a lot of capital. And I thought, I think I could be a great investor because I understand what founders need. And I, I could have a lot of empathy and I think I could be very helpful. And while I was thinking about, about that, I joined Proof. And I didn't plan on joining Proof full-time. It, it came up as the need arose. And so when I asked Kevin to join as COO, the thought was Kevin was full-time at True Ventures. And I thought, I can come in and help boot this up. I know how to do that. And I don't think Kevin and Justin and I knew how big Proof would be and knew how big Moonbird. And so what I was committing to was what I thought was a small project, something I could do and then launch a fund on the side. And so before Moonbirds, I asked Kevin if it was okay if I launched a fund on this. And a lot of entrepreneurs have funds and a lot of executives have funds on the side. So he said, sure, no problem. Let's make sure we do it legally correct and get the right counsel and do everything by the book, which we did. And then I announced the fund, I think it was like on April 4th. And then, then Moonbirds happened. And it was way bigger than any of us thought. And I think at that point, it became clear to all of us, okay, Proof is going to be a multi-billion dollar company. And the kind of COO that Proof needs is someone that's taken a company to billions of dollars. And I haven't done that. I've had hundreds of employees and I've started multiple companies, but that's not me. And I think Proof needs that. And also, I'm in a place in my entrepreneurial career where I couldn't 
moved to Los Angeles, which is where Kevin and Justin were going to be. I've got my family on the East Coast now, and I wouldn't be able to do that. And also I knew what it was going to take to build a company and it kind of takes everything. And so we just had a nice friend-to-friend meeting where we all agreed, Proof needs a COO with a ton of experience. I want to run my own thing. I think we can part ways as friends. And we did that. And Kevin and Justin and I are still good friends. And I still own uh, it's a little bit less than 1% of proof holdings. And I still own all my Moonbirds and all my proof passes. So I'm very much in the community still, but just able to focus full-time on 121G, which is just kind of more my personal style. I'm very entrepreneurial. And so we thought that it would happen a little slower, right? So when I announced the funds page was live on like April 24th, the thing I learned, and this is was helpful in hindsight. So I, I picked up something like 30,000 followers on Twitter from between April 4th, when I announced the fund and April 24th, when I said, Hey, the website's live. And honestly, I didn't think about the fact there was all these people that had no context. And to them, they're thinking, what? Like, the, the number one folks thought I was a founder and I'm not, I was an executive. So they thought, well, the founder of Moonbirds is launching a fund? Like what? This is so bizarre. And it, how can he do that and focus on Moonbirds? This doesn't make any sense. And so lack of context, I think caused just a lot of confusion. And in hindsight, I would have explained that better or changed the timing, but say la vie. So we had to speed up the transition, which is fine. And, and now, thankfully, I think within seven days, I had raised like 40 million bucks and the fund was full and just blown away by the the interest in the fund. So I'm excited now to, to be able to focus full-time on that. Yeah. So we need to talk about 121G. Tell us what it is and what's the difference between a traditional fund and a fund in the Web3 space? Yeah. So 121G stands for 1.21 gigawatts, which comes from my favorite movie, Back to the Future. And my wife thought of the tagline, which is fun. It's the the fund that you wish you could go back in time and invest in. Um, so it's just having some fun with the branding. And so the interesting thing about an NFT-focused fund is that it has to be a much shorter fund. So traditional venture capital funds are a decade. And the reason why is because it takes a long time to build a company. And you need usually about seven or eight years to do that. And so if you're investing in a company and buying equity, you need 10 years before you can return capital to your investors. But in the NFT space and the Web3 space, as we know, it's just goes at light speed and a year is, is like 10 years. So 121G uh, is a traditional venture fund in, in the way it's formed, but the timeline is much shorter. So it's a four-year fund, which is still a long time, honestly, in the NFT space. And so the plan is that we're going to uh, have three pillars of investment inside the fund. Pillar one will be about 55% of the capital is going to be deployed to new projects led by vetted high-quality teams. And so what I'm going to do is launch a podcast and bring on high potential founders as guests, interview them about their projects. And I'm really going to vet them for project, product, and timing and team. And, and basically, if I think that they've got the right stuff and the right idea, then we'll deploy anywhere between 500 to 700 ETH per project on mint day. And we'll just buy the floor and then hold. And the goal is to really invest in good teams that have a long-term vision. I can't wait to meet with those teams. And every month I'm planning on having a Zoom call with them and saying, okay, how can I help? Where are you blocked? What connections do you need? 
but also hold those teams accountable to KPIs and OKRs and really support them as founders. So that's going to be one big part of the fund. The second part is we're going to be collecting one of ones. So you two know more than I do about traditional art. So I'd love to learn from you all. And and that part of the fund, we're going to focus on one of ones from the world's best NFT artists. And so I'm going to go to them and ask if the fund can collect uh, a piece from them. And then we're just going to hold for as long as we possibly can. And then the third part of the fund is we're going to invest heavily into the proof ecosystem. I have high, high conviction uh, of proof and Moonbirds. I, I know where the project is going. I know the team is legit. So looking forward to buying pretty strong into the proof ecosystem. So that's the fund. It's going to be a wild ride. That's amazing. That's really exciting. So people are going to be listening to this a week after complete market meltdowns as seen <laughs> in the headlines. Yeah. How are you feeling in this current moment? How are your investors feeling? And where do you think we go from here? Just in mm. your opinion. I don't want to make light of what's happening, right? There's some really painful things going on where folks are losing significant amounts of wealth. And, and that is terrible. The meltdown with UST and Luna seeing a stablecoin collapse was very scary. And then seeing ETH drop below 2000. And this is scary stuff. I just want to acknowledge that, that it's not a light situation. But conversely, it's the absolute best time to launch up to be able to deploy capital in a bear market is very fortunate. And it means that we can buy into projects that are very high quality projects and purchase at a much lower price. So I'm really excited about that. It's interesting because I've got about 100 LPs, which stands for limited partners, if you don't know about venture, which are the investors in the fund. And they're from really different walks of life. And some of them are just an individual who has extra ETH to deploy and, and doesn't want to spend all day researching projects and paying attention all the way up to funds of funds, right? And everybody in between. And so I think some of the smaller LPs, unfortunately, are probably going to drop out before we actually call the capital. Unfortunately, they'll be overexposed and just won't have the liquidity to invest, which is sad. And I feel for them. And then we have all the way up to the big funds, which have plenty of capital and understand there's never been a better time to deploy. So the way that I think about this is and this is the way I invested before NFTs. I would just buy stock in companies that I truly understood the product and believed in it. And you just buy and you hold. And that's it. There's no trading. There's no timing. You just buy and hold high quality assets. The key is which assets are those, right? And so I, I'm super bullish. I, I, I wish we had the capital right now to deploy. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to deploy capital until July. So in a kind of a sick way, I hope that the market is still down then for our, our selfish reasons, but it probably won't be. Yeah. Katie and I have been talking a lot about like calling certain NFT projects blue chip because in the traditional art world, that's a term we use as well. How are we sure that a blue chip project today is going to be a blue chip project in a few weeks? Is it the founders? Is it the team? What are those sort of indicators? Because we've seen teams sort of flip as we just had the Azuki situation where we thought that he was a great founder. It's just so hard to have a strong grip on what's fact in this space. And there's so much misinformation, which is what we're trying to help people with on the podcast. So mm. we're curious to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. I have a pretty strong opinion about anonymous founders. I won't be investing a single ETH into an anonymous founder. I'll probably miss good projects because there will be some anonymous founders that are very legitimate, but I just think it's too risky. 
And so the first very simple requirement I have to even consider a team is that all the founders are not anonymous and they have LinkedIn profiles and they have real experience. So I was on a call with a potential project today and I basically said, have you hired people before? Have you built real product? And those folks said, yeah, I've actually you know, built a, a whole other company, hired 120 people. And it's like, great. Okay. You've passed the first bar. So I think in the NFT space, we just need to have higher standards. None of us, I mean, none of us would buy a stock from a company that had a bunch of founders who are anonymous. It would be nobody would do that. And so I think we just need to raise our bar to that. And so it's all about the team, 100% about the team. And it's pretty scary if you think about it that a lot of us are, and I don't do this, but a lot of the industry are buying into projects where they've never seen a video of the founder, they've never heard the founder interviewed, they've never seen any writing of the founder and they have no clue what the founder has actually done. And I think BAYC and Yuga unfortunately has desensitized people to how important this is. Yes, Yuga is crushing it and they probably will continue to crush it. They were anonymous and now they're pseudo-anonymous and people think now, oh, it must be okay to trust founding teams when we don't really know who they are. It's not okay. And we saw that with Azuki and we'll keep seeing it. Right. It's just too tempting for, for normal people to see 10, 20, $30 million come into their wallet and not take it. And so, and that one, one thing I want to be very clear about at Proof and Moonbirds is that Kevin, Justin, and I uh, received zero cents, like literally nothing from the mint and from royalty. Kevin, Justin, and I won salaries and all the money is going back into building the projects and into salaries to build the team, right? Because that's the way real companies work. So I, I think we should just expect that, which means we probably should be super careful about FOMOing into projects or, or thinking, oh my gosh, like maybe this is going to go from 0.1 ETH to one and I'll 10X my money. Even if it does, are you going to time the exit? Are you going to hold? And if you hold, what is the project actually going to do? So 121G is going to deploy to 12 projects max in the next 12 months. So maybe one a month. It probably will be less than that. So I would just encourage everybody listening. It's okay to miss things and it's okay to take your time. And I think you'll they'll do a lot better if you deploy your, your capital patiently and carefully and you have conviction around it. Because especially when we see huge drops like this, like I haven't sold a single thing during this drop um, because I have strong conviction in everything I hold. Um, and I'll be wrong about some of those things, but on the whole, I, I won't be. And we'll just hold to the dip and it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, Dylan and I, Dylan and I have talked also about the Yuga, the board Ape situation pretty extensively where we're like, this is kind of crazy. Maybe A16Z knows who these people are, but then we're just supposed to trust their vetting. Right. Like this is insane. They're getting this much money and we have no idea who they are. So right. it's crazy. Kind of, yeah, it's crazy. So kind of in that vein, will the public be able, well, two things. One, would you invest in someone if you knew, like if you vetted them, but they were public facing anonymous, if that makes sense. But like probably not, because then, I think you need accountability. Yeah. And then will the public be able to see what you guys are investing in? Like how transparent is that process going to be? Yeah. This is a great thing about the blockchain, right? I mean, you can't hide. We don't plan on hiding, but even if we did, eventually someone would find our wallet. <laughs> and so so it's, it, I love how transparent all this is. I mean, in web one and web two, nobody knew what 
venture capitalists were really, I mean, they were buy-in pre-IPO and everything is obscured anyway, and you can never see the cap table and it's just totally uh, hidden. And now it's, it's hilariously public. Yeah. So we plan on having a wallet that everybody will know. We would love it if people copy trade along with us. Right. And I'll say copy invest with us. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. And I hope people see when they see 121G buy in, they'll understand that we're long term, high quality investors who, who only invest in great things that we have true conviction on. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see people come along. Right. And that's the whole beauty of the space. And how do you kind of handle, obviously, as you're building something like this in public, crypto Twitter is Twitter. a very specific space, let's say. <laughs> okay. So how do you handle kind of these constant mood changes? You've obviously, you were kind of the subject of a bit of <laughs> yeah. backlash on Twitter. How do you handle like immediate feedback and often angry feedback from people yeah. in the community? And how does, how do you look at social media culture? Boy, it is interesting, isn't it? So I've been on Twitter for 16 years, I think. So from 2006, and I've seen it go through all sorts of cycles. And what's interesting is when I when I kind of got into crypto Twitter at the end of last year, it's interesting because at first it was a very friendly, inclusive space. Like everybody was wag me and everyone was helpful and friendly. And then I think as soon as I helped launch Moonbirds, the tone sort of changed. When you're involved in a project that can become a significant part of someone's net worth, things change. It's hard because it seems like nobody has any context all the time. Everything you do, it's like either people haven't bothered to read your previous tweets, or they're busy, or they don't care, or they're new. It's almost like you have to plan on people seeing it for the first time, which is kind of exhausting. And so that was one big lesson I learned. And secondly, I, I try to give everybody grace. And, and even if someone's cruel to me, which I, I mean, people are really cruel. Like you wouldn't believe the kind of things people say to me. I have to believe they've got stuff going on in their life. So I try to give them grace and say, I don't know why they're doing that. And then, and then I mute them. <laughs> so muting is great because no one knows if you mute them versus blocking. So I just mute folks and because I figure they're not going to like me. They probably won't change. Change, and I just don't want to see it. So that's kind of my my tactic. But yeah, it is brutal. I mean, like th- there's times like literally I've cried about it. Nobody knows that, and nobody sees it. And I'm a I'm an adult, so it's tough. I'll tell you that people people do not think about the impact of their words. That's for sure. Definitely not, especially when this space gives you so much agency to be anonymous. It just takes like keyboard warrior to the next level. It does. I mean, like uh, I'm, I'm going to be a guest on another show later today and they want to specifically talk about Moonbird. So I, I prepped some stats. And so I was like, I want, let me, I want to think through this. And what's kind of crazy about all this is people thought maybe I was taking some of the mint or some of the royalty, right? Which all those th- all those things were not true, but they didn't know that. So, but I just did the math. And so the, the Moonbirds Improved team t- together, we basically created $646 million of value when you count folks who got in at 2.5 ETH and held to, to the current floor, right? To 23. That's like crazy value. So it's like, how could you be mad at me? I, I, I worked my ass off to help make that happen, right? So it's just weird sometimes when you think about like, I don't understand why anyone's mad at me. So I guess they've got stuff going on in their life. And also I was on a salary. I made $0 out of the whole thing. And yes, I bought some Moonbirds, but I did it in a fair way. And you just have to go, oh, well, I guess people are just mad sometimes. <laughs> Let's try to ignore them, I guess. What are 
some of the biggest lessons you learned from your various experiences besides mute people who are being assholes. I feel like that's a great lesson. (laughs) I'm such a fast mover. I'm an entrepreneur. I like to build quick and move fast. And I think I did learn sometimes it's good just to slow down and take a few days longer to communicate or to explain. I think it reinforced my belief in good teams. Kevin and Justin and the rest of the proof team are gold star level and they're a team that I trust. And I think the third thing is it's important to be kind. You just don't know what's going on in people's lives. And it's easy to fire off a cheeky comment or say something mean. You just don't know what effect that's going to have on somebody. And some of this can push people over the edge. And there's just a lot of mental health problems right now. And and I think it just reminded me it's important for us to, to be kind no matter what's happening. Well said. So let's switch gears a little bit and we're heading towards game time. But before we get there, Give us one fun, hot take on the future of NFTs. I mean, everything is going to be an NFT. So I think just get ready for every asset on earth to become an NFT. I think the user experience around NFTs will get uh, seamless and it'll probably be built into your phone, right? So we'll probably see either Apple or uh, another competitor come up and become your wallet and it'll all just work. So that's why I'm so bullish. I think it's just hard to imagine how transformative this is going to be to earth. Okay. And with that, let's play our game. So every week we play a game with our guests. This week we're reverting back to would you rather, but I feel like let's keep it simple. (laughs) First question, would you rather have a bored ape or a crypto punk? It's funny because I would have said a crypto punk forever and ever and ever, but, but I think I think an ape, just because Yuga is going to pay more attention to ape holders, sadly. So grudgingly, I'll have to go for an ape. <laughs> Would you rather receive a million dollars in US dollars or a million dollars in Ethereum today? If you had uh, to take one of those. A, a million bucks of Ether in a second. Like I wouldn't even have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because that could go to that could go to two tomorrow. Oh, easy. I mean, it'll probably go to that 10 million, right? That So yeah, I mean, definitely would take that bet. Bullish. Would you rather have a moonbird or 20% of a whale's profit for five years? I was thinking about this question when I read it this morning. I was like, hmm, depends who the whale is, right? So, but I have to say moonbirds. Like, I mean, there's going to be so much value that's delivered to moonbirds and plus they're cute and fun and collectible and it's a good community. So I would take a moonbird every day. Love it. All right. Well, thanks so much for for coming, Ryan. It was great to be it was great to be on the show. You all are lovely uh, hosts and very very intelligent. So I appreciate you having me on. 